If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where I talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago, and welcome back to the program Appreciate you visiting us. Great response to our show last week with awful announcings. Andrew Buckholtz on Rush. Even got a couple of folks saying that would have been my topic. And I'm like, hey, come on back. Come, you know, I'll go back to the same well. I am a creature of habit. I think I've talked to every single ESPN person and personality about The Bachelor. It's all fair game or games if we got to go back there one or more times after we've done it. So uh, just know that it's uh, we're not mutually exclusive here on Just Not Sports. And it was good to get back in the fold. Again, I had a vacation, had a lot of travel, but I got a lot more shows coming up down the line. Excited to get them out. Okay, so speaking of things we are excited about, the feel-good hit of summer. I don't know if you can call it the song of summer. We've got the song of summer, but... This is the series of summer. The thing you want to just throw on, go outside, feed up, basking in the sun. That's right. HBO's Chernobyl. Oh, right. This was the most depressing thing I had ever seen. This is this was a series where literally I would finish episodes and then yearn to shower because I just felt dirty. I felt like radioactive, like the air around me was glowing. Get real. And look, kidding aside, this thing was a triumph. It's going to win all the Emmys, all the all the Peabody's, all the awards. Maybe they'll do that thing they did for the OJ doc and just allow it to win an Oscar and an Emmy at the same time. Because <laughs> um, it's deservedly so. I saw people tweeting about it. I saw people talking about it, people freaking out about it, people being like, where are the accents? And then I'm going to write a think piece about that. Ugh, don't write a think piece about the accents. Um, anyway, one of the people I saw talking about Chernobyl week in, week out was Julie DeCaro. That's right. Old friend of show, Julie DeCaro. You know her, host of her own show, as well as the Julie and Maggie show on 670 The Score in Chicago. Gracie winning. Uh, radio host for for that work. She's got a podcast out. She's done work uh, in the New York Times, Washington Post, Sports Illustrated. You may or may not remember her from the work we did together on Just Not Sports, the More Than Mean campaign. Uh, she and Sarah Spain were featured in our video about the online harassment of women in sports. That was back in 2016. Google it if you haven't seen it. So I follow Julie on Twitter and I start seeing these little nuggets like, Hey, call into the show tonight. We'll talk about the Cubs and the Sox. And, you know, if you want to talk Chernobyl, I'm down. <laughs> I kept being like, that's a cry out to Just Not Sports. That is a, that's a bat signal that goes up that only Just Not Sports can come and be like, I have a place we can call in and talk about Chernobyl. Come with me over here in the space where the air is glowing and where people are wearing masks that don't work and where other people are wearing what looks like kitchen outfits that they think will block radiation from the most dangerous place on the planet. And so, Julie and I are going to break this all down. That's right. We're going to go deep on Chernobyl, on what made it so fascinating, on truth versus fiction, on am I a monster because 
I am not affected by people shooting dogs on television? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I think my wife confirmed the answer is yes. But, you know, I just, it, it didn't get me. I, I, I get it. They have to get rid of those dogs. They're radioactive. The dogs are going to suffer regardless. Um, as you can tell, I was an allergy kid. No dogs in my life. The only dog we ever had, Bouncer, uh, a black lab mutt with a white thing on its chest. Uh, my parents gave away when I proved to be allergic. <laughs> I think that's what made my sister hate me for most of my life <laughs> and what made me totally callous to all pets and animals. So I apologize for that. Bouncer, RIP. Anyway, we're going to break down Chernobyl. I can't say this is going to be a good time, <laughs> but I do think we have as much fun as people can have talking about this show, its impact, its aesthetic, and some of the weird nuances uh, that we picked up along the way. So, Julie DeCarlo, thanks for coming back on and stick around after the interview. I will be back to distract you. does matter is that to them justice was done see a just world is a sane world there was nothing sane about Chernobyl I'm pleased to report that the situation in Chernobyl is stable in terms of radiation I'm told it's the equivalent of a chest x-ray no Chernobyl is on fire. And every atom of uranium is like a bullet, penetrating everything in its path. Metal, concrete, flesh. Now Chernobyl holds over three trillion of these bullets. Some of them will not stop firing for 50,000 years. Tell me how to put it out. You are dealing with something that has never occurred on this planet before. I follow you pretty closely on Twitter, and I noticed you started to sort of reach out, uh, almost support group style, and say, hey, tonight we're talking Cubs, bullpen woes, we're talking White Sox, uh, you know, we're talking... Uh, you know, we're talking Bears minicamp. Also, if you want to talk Chernobyl, uh, please call in. <laughs> so I'm curious from your perspective, were you uh, able to find any sports fans who were eager to talk about uh, the worst uh, nuclear disaster in history? A lot of times we do like the last 15 minutes we save for like pop culture, like what movies are you watching? What are you binging? What podcasts are you listening to? You know, and we sort of like, especially if I'm working with certain producers, we talk about, you know, like Star Wars or Marvel movies or, you know, whatever we're into at the moment. And, um, yeah, I mean, people, people were started texting in about it. People, um, like producers started watching it and then someone turned me on to the podcast. So I, yeah, I mean, definitely, I, I just saw something that it's going to be the, the highest rated show ever on HBO, like bigger than game of Thrones, bigger than like the Sopranos. Like, so, I mean, it, it definitely sort of caught on like wildfire. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it just sort of filled that void immediately after game of Thrones when people desperately wanted something to watch. Yeah, I, and it was so staggering from a um, production perspective. I was trying to think of, have I ever watched something that made me feel dirtier, like watching it? Like, I think it was an immersive experience in terms of all the aesthetics around it just made you kind of feel the anxiety of being around Chernobyl. 
what for for you personally like how did you process what the show was trying to do and 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 did you also have that sort of I feel just feel like I'm kind of down in the muck with these characters <laughs> while yeah. experiencing it like like they do I mean, I think the attention to detail they put into sort of recreating Soviet era, like at the, you know, just towards the end, everything's sort of starting to go to hell. You know, I mean, the paint's peeling everywhere and like nothing looks very nice. And, and I think that really has a lot to do with the way that you feel. And, and at the same time, I think the music played a huge part of it as well, because the music never tells you how to feel. And I I remember on the podcast, they said at some points, the music almost is like the sound of the radiation. It's just sort of this like a tone like it's not like music you hear in any other kind of show and so yeah it um it, it's weird because people are like oh my god how can you want to like lose yourself in chernobyl like <laughs> it, it seems like such you know such a depressing thing but from a historical standpoint it's so completely fascinating i sort of remember it i remember you know seeing it on tv i don't remember it the way i remember like the challenger explosion which happened that same year mm-hmm. but i definitely remember it being on tv i remember it being like really bad and everybody freaking out about it um but you know it, it's so funny because with both chernobyl and the americans and, it, and obviously i think chernobyl pays much it's much more historically accurate pays much more attention to detail you know than the americans which is sort of a pop culture thing but this idea that that we sort of didn't necessarily get the full story on what was happening between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And this idea that, like, they were bad, 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 and we were the good guys. And, like, I mean, you see that in movies like Rocky IV, too. Like, just how jingoistic and terrible it was. This idea that, you know, like, they don't care about their people, and they're sending all these people to death and stuff like that. And then when you see the anguish on these people's faces, that they don't want to send even three guys into a situation where they can die. Um, It really sort of turns that whole narrative on its head and hearing people from the Ukraine at that time talking about what their lives were like and stuff. It just gives you a whole different perspective for those of us that are like Gen Xers that live through, um, you know, the cold war and the way that, that things were always sort of portrayed to us. Not that there aren't tons of villains in this story, but there are so many heroes too. And we never, ever heard about that. I'm glad you brought that up. And look, there's a lot to unpack because this was the feel good hit of summer, right? I mean, just so many, so many real uplifting moments, but I, 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 and we'll get into those. I I do want to start with the, the idea of the, who were the villains? Because one of my gripes until the finale was that I just felt like it was allowing everybody off the hook to say that, Oh, well the system was at fault. And I feel like in the finale, they, 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 they finally showed, okay, yes, but they were executors of the system who were negligent, and we hadn't really seen that. And now I understood the intent of the creators of, oh, okay, they are kind of paying that off at the end. But from your perspective as you were watching it, how did you, how did you process, hey, who's really at fault here versus you know, the, the Soviet idea of what the state is and should be is at fault here? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, it, it feels, I mean, obviously at this point, like I said, you can see things sort of like breaking down, right? I mean, like, like the buildings are all run down and shabby and nothing looks like the way that they necessarily want it portrayed to look. So, I mean, you get the idea that these people have to have a sense that this isn't working. And especially when you're in um, the the bunker, like on the first night and that one guy is challenging sort of the old Soviet guard. And he's like, you know, what's yeah. really going on here? We've seen this. Um, um, you know, from that standpoint, it, it feels like things are starting to come apart. 
so I keep going back to that scene where Boris, where uh, Shabina says, um, you know, when you, uh, he says to, um, to Elena, whatever her name is, uh, Emily Watson's I don't remember. Character. I don't remember any names. I'm impressed that you even have one. I, I just, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, look, there's Blondie and there's like Blondie's <laughs> husband and there's like Lane Price. <laughs> <laughs> Lane Price. <laughs> he, by the way, is a chameleon. I mean, he looks so different in every role. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. But, um, but like when Sherbina says to Emily Watson's character, like, you know, I've known better men than you who, who, you know, didn't stand up when they were supposed to. And when that moment finally comes for you, all you care about is whether or not you're going to be shot. That, that it sort of is, I mean, like on the one hand, you feel like, why aren't any of these people standing up and doing the right thing? And at the same time, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I've never really been in a situation where I'm in a KGB room where there's like a drain on the floor <laughs> for when they decide to shoot me and the blood can run down. Right. Like, I mean, I think it was a failure of the system, you know, the whole system, obviously, because they've created this, um, you know, this this um, entire organism where no one is allowed to speak out or contradict anything. But at the same time, like, I don't feel these days like I can really be all that judgmental of it because I never thought we in this country would be in the situation we're in now. where like half the country is towing the line with someone who's clearly completely bonkers. So, I mean, it, it's it, I don't know that it necessarily matters if it's like a communist system, a fascist system, whatever you want to call it, democracy. It's just when people put their own self interests above everyone else's. And I think that that's sort of the difference between the people who are part of the party apparatus and the regular people that generally the party apparatus was all out for like covering their own butts. But the people are the ones that really made the decision to put other people above other people's well-being above their own. And that was sort of, I think, the uplifting message of the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, I I thought the last the last episode was very effective when it when it kind of starts in in the city near the plant and it's just normal life. And you just see, you know, you see people holding babies and and kids. And and I did think it did a nice job of showing there's the party and there's the people and everywhere the the people sort of turn, um, you know, they're trying to make the best decision they can in the moment. They are just kind of staring down this this flawed apparatus and, and these, these, these few cogs in that machine that are just making horrible decisions. When you watch the first episode, like what about what you were seeing hooked you and made you want to keep going down the dark <laughs> tunnel of descent <laughs> that this thing did? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, because really, I don't know. I'm, I'm amazed I got past the second episode when everyone's skin started falling off. Like, that was really alarming. Um, I don't know. Like, part of it, I think, is the science of it that was really fascinating. Like, we all say Chernobyl, and now Chernobyl's come to me. You know, we use it in, like, everyday vernacular to describe, like, a disaster. But like, what was it really? You know, I mean, and, and how bad was it? And I think what really sort of got me were those scenes where Lagasov, which is Jared Harris's character, is saying, like, what could have happened, like how bad it could have gotten, like it could have spread over the entire continent of Europe and made it completely uninhabitable. I mean, to me, like that was sort of like, you know, and you know that it it winds up to be mostly okay, I guess, in terms of it not wiping out all of like, you know, Western Europe. But um, I think I was sort of fascinated by how it got to be okay. Um, And, you know, and now like you, 
people go to Chernobyl and you'll see it on like 60 Minutes or whatever. And how there's, I, I watched a show about how there's this been this nature renaissance around it with all these animals that don't exist other places because well, I thought initially because of the radiation, like three-eyed deer, like whatever. But no, it's not. It's like <laughs> animals that have pretty much got, you know, are critically endangered have been able to sort of flourish in that area. And so I think that like when he's standing up and he's telling like a room full of guys, like this is really bad and like all of Europe could be dead. And then it, going from there to like how it got there or how it got to be okay, I think was really sort of fascinating. Yeah, stray dogs not doing great in that area. No, oh god. So, here's what I I, I can't understand about internet culture. Um, we're literally watching the first few episodes of this thing, and it's showing just both, the, you know, just the horrible carnage of what happened for individual people affected by the accident, and also to your point, that underlying sense of dread of this could what what is this type of technology capable of doing. And then they start shooting like three dogs off screen and everyone on the internet's like melting down. Brad, you're the worst. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I want to ask you, am I just a bad person? Because yes. I was like, yeah, sure. They're killing these straight dogs. You got to do something with them. Or am I just being too callous here? And, and how did that affect you? Because I really do feel like that was a moment that made this far more real for people for whatever reason. Well, I think it sort of brought just like the horror of like the mundane to it. You know what I mean? Like people, I mean, it, yeah, it was horrible. People are trying to, you know, they're washing vehicles, washing radiation off. People are getting burned. But just like even like if you had the smallest job and there was just something horrific about it, you know, and like I'm a dog lover. I've got rescues and, you know, just seeing that smiling, happy mama dog and all her puppies and stuff was just horrible. <laughs> like I said, like I said immediately after that, I seriously, I would volunteer to go swimming in the radiation water before I would shoot a dog. I just, I couldn't do it. And, and I think, you know, the, the guy had sort of this, the, the young kid Pavel had sort of the same look on his face, you know, like, I, is there something else I can do here? Cause it, because on the outside, right, everything looks okay. So it seems like you're just doing this horrific thing for no reason. You can't see the radiation. You can't tell that it's in the soil, that it's in the trees, that it's in the air, it's in everything. Cause everything looks fine. It's just empty. And so it was just this horrific thing to see this, like, you know, people having to kill animals that look perfectly healthy, even though, you know, they're not. So, um, yeah, that was a tough scene. And Brad, you know, in internet culture, dogs are at the top. <laughs> yeah. Then cats. Yeah. Then people. So just. <laughs> Yo, I hear you. I mean, look, th for me, that scene like that I had the hardest time with was the roof was when. They realize we're going to have to send up the bio robots, which is a hilarious, <laughs> hilarious distinction to call these human beings bio robots. Yeah, right. And then them just saying, you've got 90 seconds. You're going to get a probably fatal dose or close to a fatal dose, as much as we can give you ethically uh, of radiation. And you have you just have to clear this this freaking roof. What what other moments stand out to you that that you think really kind of grabbed you from an emotional perspective because it's your point it, it got a lot of raves for explaining complicated science in a really interesting way uh, it's showing these different definitions of heroism than we've seen before but also i think this thing will be remembered for the dark places it took us so what what else stood out to you 
Well, I think that like the this the scene where the three guys whose names we never knew yeah. before now, who basically saved the planet, decide <laughs> to go in, um, you know, and and that great scene where Selen Sarsgaard says, you know, like you'll do it because it has to be done and this is always what our people have done. We make hard decisions and if you tell me that's not enough, I won't believe you. Um, I mean, and then just to see those three guys stand up and say their names, it's like the only line they have. And I was listening to the producer or the showrunner on the podcast talk about it and say you know like i just it was really important to me that people know their names like that was really uh, that was really emotionally impactful for me and when those guys came out i was like uh, when they said is it possible the waters killed them already and he's like yeah and then and then to know that two of those three guys are still alive right unbelievable that i mean that to me was like one of those one of the like the defining moments of the show that the selflessness of, of what people are willing to do in the face of other people and and i think that you know like they talk in the podcast about what um the difference is between like if it had happened here we'd just be like oh my god nobody can go there we have to close the whole area down and everyone has to move because someone might die um whereas there they they were people were willing to sacrifice for the collective and how that had been so ingrained in like what they were and i was thinking about that and it, it, this is so so dumb but like thinking about it in the whole baseball netting debate where people aren't even willing to like look through a netting screen to see <laughs> you know to see a baseball game to keep children safe and then here you've got people voluntarily going into like radioactive water to try to save the planet like it, it was just so stark to me for like where we are right now as a country. And, and that to me is like the most depressing thing about the whole show. It wasn't necessarily what happened then, but it's like sort of a reflection. I feel like on where we are now and which, you know, where we've moved to in the past 10 years, which I think is really depressing. <laughs> wow. I didn't think about it that way, but now I'm uh, uh, e even more upset. Uh, yeah, by sorry. This whole thing. Yeah. No, Go back to watching him shoot the dogs again. You'll feel right, better. I will feel a ton better. <laughs> yeah. Take that Benji. Um, okay. You mentioned the podcast a couple times. I also listen to the podcast and I, I'm always going to hit or miss on this supplementary content. I think a lot of modern creators have a tendency to overshare. And I, I actually just went on a rant on my last podcast about how people with Game of Thrones were like, oh, this isn't an earned choice because in this interview three years ago, it's clear they, they didn't know what they were doing at the time. I'm like, oh my God, stop. <laughs> But I thought this podcast was very helpful because they did they did kind of lay out, well, here's what really happened. And we made this creative choice to change it to this or we this is why we're doing whatever. Um, you're a podcaster as well. I mean, you're someone who works in media. How did you how did you take to the way that the creators of the show tried to not just explain away all their decisions, but I think put it put what you were watching on the screen into the proper historical context if that's the choice you wanted to make as a, as a consumer. Yeah, I mean, normally I would never listen to like a podcast accompanying a show, I don't think. And and I agree, the Game of Thrones stuff just got bonkers. And I'm like a person who read the books and I was even sick to death of it. So, um, <laughs> but this is like, I, I always appreciate it when um, people who make historical dramatizations will say, this is, this is why I had to make this decision because to, I hate it. Like when like Argo is a perfect example, like that whole scene at the end where, um, have you seen the movie Argo? Yeah. Everybody's seen Argo, right? Okay. So at the scene at the end where like the Iranians are chasing them down the runway, the planes taking off, like that didn't happen. And it was dramatic enough the way it was. There was no reason to put that in there. And so I hate it when they sort of do stuff like that with true stories. And so I loved that, that he was explaining when they had to make a departure from what really happened or a dramatization. Here's why we did it. 
And here's what we know. And so we had to figure out a way to tell the audience this. And like, I really, I appreciate that attention to detail and the attempt to make it as historically accurate as possible. And not only that, there are so many things of this story that we didn't, that you couldn't possibly put in there. Like the stuff about Dyatlov and the fact that this is the second time he'd been involved in a meltdown and a possible meltdown. <laughs> right. And that like, maybe he killed his own kid because he was so cavalier about radiation and, and stuff like that was, to me, was just so fascinating. Or the fact that like, like Ludmilla uh, Ignatenko is still alive. Like, are you kidding me? Like someone, you know, and no one on the bridge survived. Like all that kind of stuff to me is just really fascinating and stuff that they necessarily didn't have time to deal with during the show. But other historical facts that that you would know unless you listen to the podcast. And it actually got me to like download a couple books. And I've been like, I'm kind of obsessed with it right now, which is a really a dark, sick thing to be obsessed with. But it's just one of those things that you sort of live through as a kid and you don't really think very much about it until later on someone brings it up to you and you're just like, holy shit, I had no idea all this was happening. Oh, I was so on a... I'm I was on a train watching like real footage of that helicopter melting down over the core. Like oh. I, I totally, I totally am with you that. And, and I candidly, the more I looked into it, the more I had an appreciation for kind of how faithfully they were able to recreate what it was like there. Yeah, exactly. And oh man, that scene of that helicopter going down, that was like out of like, I am legend or walking dead or something like that was one of those moments when my stomach just like turned over because it was just what a disaster. Have you seen the real footage? Understatement of the year. No. Okay. You got to go to YouTube and see the real footage. It's it it looks exactly like that because I was like, oh, this is kind of like a creative liberty they're taking and then you see this real footage and there's only this one arm of this guy who's kind of in the vantage point of like being like standing in front of the camera and he just makes this kind of like frustrated like oh come on like (laughs) (laughs) anyway so here speed round here let me get a couple last reactions from you okay did you fear nuclear power before and Does this change how you think about it at all right now? Hmm. So I grew up really close to Byron nuclear plant, like not real, not super close to it, but kind of close to it. And we went there for a lot of activities and stuff. And my dad is always like, you know, nuclear power is some of the cleanest power in the world. And and so I wasn't really ever afraid of it, but I am terrified of it now. Like (laughs) it is up there, like above clowns for me, radiation in terms of like what could happen. So, yeah, I'm terrified now. I never was before. Yeah, well, especially when like you realize Ben Carson probably runs our nuclear right. industry. Right. Or isn't it Rick Perry? I think <laughs> oh, it's Rick God. Perry. Oh, no. Do you know what? I, let, let's move on. Let's get back to the killing dogs. <laughs> um, okay, the accents. A ton of debate about whether they did the right thing. And I actually think the podcast did a really nice explanation of mm-hmm. why, why that choice was made. But what did you think about no one even attempting even actors of european or eastern european descent did not attempt um uh, russian style accents okay this is my this is my hot take on accents okay um the conceit of this show was that we're showing you things you have never seen before that the western world has never seen before the only people who were able to see these things were russian okay so we're letting you behind the scenes therefore enable to let uh, you behind the scenes we're putting you in the position to pretend we all speak fluent russian if you're listening to fluent russian and you speak russian you don't hear a russian accent yeah that's that's my that's my take here's my thing no one did this better because the the, again the creator said when you when you tell people to make an accent they start acting the accent and they lose the emotional expression 
uh, that you need them to have to capture what's going on for the character. The best example this I ever saw was in the movie The Hunt for, for Red October. Yes! Yes! where they, They're speaking Russian for two seconds yes! and then it just zooms in on Sam Neill's mouth and it zooms yep. back out and it's like, okay, yeah, they're yep. just talking. Great. I'm so glad you brought that up because I almost went into all that on Twitter and then I was just like, ah, I don't have the time or the energy for this. <laughs> but I was just like, imagine watching Emily Watson, Stellan Skarsgård and Jared Harris and being like, eh, I think I'm mad about the accents. You know? yeah. It's just like, come on. I know. Come on, indeed. Okay, so... All oh, the- and wait, also shout out to Roose Bolton for making it into the final scene. That was exciting. <laughs> the final episode. Yes, there you go. Okay, how about this? All the smoking in it, did it yeah. diminish the, the underlying threat of you will get cancer one day to you? <laughs> um, probably. I mean, <laughs> and I love the fact that they're coughing blood and they're still smoking. I mean, that was really... <laughs> Legit, yeah. I remember being like, "Oh my god, you might get cancer in five years." Hand me the vodka, and <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna put exactly. my, my cigarette out next to it. But you know, yeah. I mean, the smoking was unbelievable. But, but it's sort of, that's what it was like in the '80s. Like, I didn't really remember until I was watching the show. I'm like, yeah, I really do remember being places where like people are just lit up all over the place. So I guess it wasn't that unusual. But yeah, I mean, I mean, but you know, to to the same point, if I was you know Lagasov or Sherbina and was you know subjecting myself to that, knew I was gonna be dead in five years, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. I mean, I might start smoking now, you know, just in case. Because I saw humanity is gonna end in. 2050 so i mean hell why not <laughs> all right and the last one could we seriously not find a better gorbachev like i feel like the naked gun had a better <laughs> gorbachev than this guy i agree and but but his like his birthmark was was really really good how would you like to be the person that like paints that on somebody's head <laughs> every single episode I, here's the thing about gorbachev they had a real chance to sort of do more with him like for example the few times he's in a room he's like great fix it and then he's on the phone once he's like i think you've got everything you need that should be clear by now but then they're clearly making decisions that are bad i wanted to go with him a little bit more and sort of see at what what levels of the apparatus did did they make some of these really fateful decisions that ultimately led to three thousand men going on the roof and they they just kind of refused to do that and and i don't know if that was just because they didn't really know what his role is uh, historically or if I, I don't know, but I, I was disappointed with that. Yeah, I would have liked to see more of that, too. I think they, maybe they just ran out of time. But especially when he says, like, I'm on the phone constantly apologizing to our enemies. Like, I would have loved to have seen that. Like, how do you explain to the, when the Swedes first call you up and are like, hey, uh, we noticed quite a bit of radiation wafting over here from your general direction. <laughs> Anything we should know about? Like, I would have kind of loved to have seen. But I don't know that we I necessarily know, you know, what went on. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, but but yeah, I agree. Bad Gorbachev. Um, and did you know Gorbachev is still alive? I was yeah, shocked to he, find that out. I just saw someone interview him recently. I mean, I didn't see it, but I saw like the kind of the echoes or murmurs of it uh, on Twitter, and I was like, "Yeah, whoa, <laughs> crazy!" Yeah, I'd like up there was Abe Vigoda, as people I assumed were dead a long time ago. <laughs> Wait, isn't Abe Vigoda now actually dead? I, you know what? I don't know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to Google that after the I fact. I never know. I don't watch Conan enough anymore to know if <laughs> Abe Vigoda is dead. Uh, so hey, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I would tell all my listeners to to listen to you on the score and and the the podcast be, uh, behind the headlines. The first season you did about Michael Jordan's dad's uh, you know murder, fascinating stuff. Oh, are you coming back for season two? Can you tease anything that you're working on? 
We are. We just figured we just figured out what season two is going to be about. Um, and we're in the process of researching it. And, you know, the first season was kind of like a unicorn. It was just perfect in the sense that it was still unfolding, that like there was so much to do, like so many people were willing to talk to us. I'm kind of afraid we're not going to be able to recreate it, but we're giving it a shot. I think we've got a really good mystery. It's a little bit closer to the first one than I necessarily thought we would do, but it just came out that something we couldn't resist. So coming up pretty soon, probably towards the end of the summer. Oh, man. Awesome. Well, unlike me, you're actually probably going to stick to a schedule and do this thing faithfully. So mm, good, good luck. I wouldn't. Uh, don't put that kind of pressure <laughs> on me, Brad. Well, hey, thank you again. Congratulations <laughs> on the Gracie. And, uh And we will uh, hopefully hear more from you soon. Yeah, thanks, Brad. It was great talking to you. I'm going to chase you out of I'm repping every hood, claiming a murder capital. When the drama comes, gunshots. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things, things they like, things they're passionate about. And then we say, hey, stop doing those things. Get back to watching game film. You need to be a sports bio robot. That is ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So right now, I'm going to end the show the way I normally do by telling you what is distracting me. And let me just tell you this. Yard work, yard work, man. It is brutal. And it's that time of year. And every weekend, I go outside for what I hope to be two hours worth of yard work. And I come back in after 11 hours. I can't move my shoulder above, you know, I can't move my arm above my shoulder. Uh, back hurts, legs hurt. I'm sweaty. I'm sunburned. Like I just looked over the core in Chernobyl, uh, the exposed core in Chernobyl. I just, I can't handle it, man. And and what, what's really been driving me crazy this season is it's one of those like what I call eclipse yard work seasons when... You can get away some years by being like, look, I just need to kind of like do the mulch, but I don't need to like tear out any of these trees or I don't need to stain the deck or I don't need to power wash, uh, you know, uh, this patio or whatever else. Or maybe I, I do have to do the patio, but I don't have to do this other thing. And you can get away with doing one or two big projects a year. This is what I call the eclipse yard work year because everything is just sort of like coming together at the same time, like the like the scene in Knowing with Nick Cage. <laughs> uh, and here I find myself having to do, redo the deck and having to redo... Uh, we had two huge trees we had to pull out, which means then we had to pull it in new trees uh, back there just to sort of fill the space. And then the trees need watering every day. And then my mower broke down. And yet we've had all this rain... And so the grass is higher than ever and everything is just piling up and it's really becoming one of these things where it's like my weekends don't exist except for to be outside working on my yard. And here's one thing about yard work that I have found I need to explain to people. I live in a universe where dandelions are allowed to thrive. (laughs) Okay. I have two young kids and I refuse to like poison my grass with Roundup or whatever else that is going to just eradicate those little yellow flowers from existence because I don't want my two-year-old who can't walk five feet in the grass without falling down hands first and then 
standing up and like licking her hands <laughs> free of mud. I don't want her ingesting chemical after chemical after chemical. And look, I'm not some crazo. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not like a you know conspiracy theorist nut job who's saying you can't do that on your grass. But I, you know, from time to time, I feel like the neighbors will come by and be like, "Hey, man, you ever uh, you ever think about uh, <laughs> getting some get some product on here?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> no." So here's my question. I think I'm in the right to do that, but we all know dandelions become those little awful white balls of seeds, and then those seeds blow into the neighbor's yard or whatever. But here's my question: If you use stuff on your lawn to keep the dandelions away, does it then not matter that my dandelion seeds blow onto your lawn? Because won't your stuff work? And that's a legitimate question. It's not like some sort of smart-ass hypothetical where I'm like, yes, I did some research on the compounds and I've found that they can deal with uh, 4 million seeds per part, you know, per unit. No, I have no idea. Like, I don't know if if you get bombarded with dandelion seeds and your Roundup is on there or whatever you whatever you've got on there to kill the dandelions is on your grass. But there there's just too many. <laughs> the infantry flying in is just too too much. I have no idea if that makes it worse or nullifies what you've done to a certain degree. So it's this weird catch twenty two where I'm like, well, look, if everyone's dandelion proofed their yard, then I don't have to do it, right? And yet. And now I really sound like an anti-vaxxer. It's just I want to make sure everyone everyone is is clear. Vaccinate your kids. Vaccinate your kids. Vaccinate yourselves. Drink vac. I, I I would use vaccines as uh, the milk in my cereal if I could. Okay, please vaccinate your kids. I'm talking about dandelions <laughs> and not wanting to put chemicals on my on my kids' hands. And I just think there's a little bit of a difference there. But I do wonder if I'm sort of reverse engineering sort of this huge herd immunity argument that. Well, I'll just be the one in the neighborhood that doesn't deal with it, but actually I create the problem for everybody else. So I think as you know, as we've laid out, number one, I need to quit bitching about the yard work. I need to get it just get it done in one weekend and then be done for the summer. Two, uh, I really need to stay in the deck where I never have to do it again because <laughs> things falling apart, but it's you know, it, you know, whatever else. And three, I guess I'm an anti-vaxxer when it comes to dandelions, and I'm sorry to everybody. <laughs> But vaccinate your kids. Please vaccinate your kids. We don't want polio to come back. We don't want measles to come back. Uh, that is that. Anyway, big shout out to Julie DeCaro for coming on the show. Follow her on Twitter. Uh, listen to her on The Score on The Julie and Maggie Show. Listen to her Behind the Headlines podcast. Uh, the first season all about Michael Jordan's father's murder and what happened there. Very interesting. I was encouraged to hear she's got a new season coming back, uh, circling a topic. I'm hoping it'll be the rise and demise of Just Not Sports. Um, and if it is, I can't wait to stonewall their probing interview questions and, uh, and do my whole PR thing. That's what I do, bro. Uh, shout out to the makers of Chernobyl. Feel good hit of the summer. Um, horrifying, uh, but necessary. Shout out to people who are not complaining that actors aren't faking accents. No one can watch Leo in that Diamond Mine movie and tell me that that wouldn't have been better with him not faking an accent the entire time. Uh, so forget it. You know, no, no one can tell me what the Tyrion Lannister accent is and then tell me it wouldn't have been better if, if Dinklage just didn't talk. <laughs> Please, let's not complain about everything. They, you know, whatever. Uh, and go watch Hunt for an October. Julie and I mentioned it in the interview. 
I do think that's the best, in my opinion, the best, hey, we know they're speaking Russian, but we're not going to waste your time with it uh, example I've ever seen. And I don't know why more people don't steal from it. And uh, that's it. Again, more shows to come. I got a lot of invites out. I got a lot of guests that we are circling. So try to get these up as quickly as possible. I may or may not abandon my season format and just sort of like throw them up when I throw them up. Kind of Zach Lowe style. Like, you know, he he doesn't have a necessarily a regular day or cadence, which, look, I would love to, but I do this between kids, uh, do it all by myself, uh, do it between work, do it between travel. Um, I try to get them up as quickly as I can, but I also am focused on making sure that I'm talking to people who are, uh, you know, interesting and, and bringing a real energy to the show. So I spend a little bit more time on the front end getting guests. So uh, again, if you're hanging with the show, you still like it, hit me up. I will, I will keep making them as long as people tell me that they uh, want to keep listening and uh, and that's that so in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal booty rappers stay booty